Following the announcement that the Vatican has announced a preliminary inquiry following Cardinal Ricard's admission to sexually abusing a 14-year-old girl during his time as a priest, the whole of the French Catholic Church has been rocked with scandals of global implications. Pope Francis has taken steps to address the Church's history with clerical abuse, but it is clear much work and investigation should be undertaken to understand the depths of which this goes. Which brings us to the question of how we got here and what may happen next. From Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Drew Starbuck. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation today, our analyst today is Juliana Mori. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Drew. Thank you for coming on the show. And focusing on the international aspect today is Trisha Balin. Hey, Trisha. Hey, Drew. Thank you for coming on the show. All right, guys, I'd like to start with just the history and some background information of both the Catholic Church itself and the Catholic Church specifically within France. So I guess I'll come to you first as the domestic analyst, Juliana. Can you talk to me more about the history of the Catholic Church within the nation of France? Yeah, there has been a deep-rooted history between the French government and the Pope or Catholicism as a whole. Originally, King Clovis I converted to Catholicism and made it the state religion. And that lasted until the French Revolution, which redefined the church's impact and influence on the French government. The Catholic Church became the largest landowner in France and oversaw all education and hospitals within the French borders. And the important and higher echelons of the church were filled with noblemen who wanted to gain political power and money because the Catholic Church was very wealthy and considered luxurious if you were a part of that society and in that role of a clergyman. And the radical change within the concept of church and state was ignited by the French Revolution, which addressed the intense dependency and power that the church and noblemen had. And the American Revolution served as a catalyst for it because of the concept of freedom of religion, because the Protestants were so persecuted and excluded during the time that the Catholics were so powerful. I think you got into a little bit of, Juliana, the Catholic Church as a political landowning power Mm -hmm. and its connection to the nobility, especially with the noblemen staffing a lot of the clergy within France. But is there like a connection to the French monarchy? As you mentioned, the French Revolution forced a turning of the perspective and how the Catholic Church was viewed in France itself. Yeah, Napoleon Bonaparte was the main figure to reconcile the monarch in France with the church. But later in history, it was changed. Are you talking more of like change as in separation between church and state of something we see in the United States? Yes. In 1905, the French parliament codified the law separating church and state. This disallowed the government from endorsing, funding, or officially recognizing a religious group, meaning that the Catholic Church's ties to France were officially cut. Pope Pius X called the general act of cutting ties with the Catholic Church reprehensible and disastrous. But for France specifically, because it was such a Catholic an important nation to Catholicism, he called it deplorable. And this law was drafted by radical Protestants against the history of the Catholic Church in France when regarding to the exclusion of Protestants in the past. Mm-hmm. 
I also want to just turn away from like the broader history of the Catholic Church and look at how we are in this current situation and look about how did this inquiry into Cardinal Ricard come about? So in recent years, there has been many reports coming to light about sexual abuse committed by clergymen within the Catholic Church. In October of 2021, it was reported that within the last 70 years, 333,000 children were abused by people involved with the church, including 3,000 priests. And all of these reports were previously covered up by Catholic authorities over the years in a systematic and thorough way, one of which including Archbishop of Strasbourg confessed to inappropriate sexual behavior towards a young woman. On November the 7th in 2022, Francis Catholic Church revealed that 11 French bishops have been accused of sexual violence. Cardinal Ricard admitted to assaulting a 14-year-old girl decades ago as a priest, calling his act reprehensible. And as a result, investigations have been open and are being handled by church authorities and legal authorities. Mm -hmm. And I think you got into kind of my next point, Juliana. And I want to transition to just like, there's a history of like sexual abuse within the Catholic Church that has often, as you said, Juliana, been gone on notice or been covered up to a certain extent. And going back to like the reports in 2021 of the French Catholic Church and the NPR, do you want to talk about that at all, Tricia? Yeah, of course. I mean, as Juliana said, there was a massive report that came out as far as children being abused in the French Catholic Church. And there was an international call for more accountability in the church as the president of the commission that released this information stated that the church had a, quote, deep, cruel indifference toward victims, unquote. And there was a lack of response from the Vatican regarding the most recent case with Ricard and Ricard's admission about the case from 35 years ago. This shows that there is still a long way to go when it comes to holding the church accountable and stopping this ongoing cycle. Mm-hmm. You mentioned both you and Juliana have cited statistics about the French Catholic Church and the number of cases and just the sheer amount of it. Do we have any statistics from like the rest of the world regarding like allegations of sexual abuse against children in churches around the globe, not just in France in particular? Yes, as the report in 2021 came out, multiple statistics were gathered. For example, in Australia in 2017, they had reported around 4,444 cases of sexual abuse against children in the church since around the 1950s. Germany found that between 1946 and 2014, 3,677 boys have been abused, and that is most likely an understatement as far as the numbers go. In Ireland, there's been around 15,000 cases just between 1970 and 1990 alone, which has only increased with time. So this shows that this is an ongoing issue from history to now. Is there any, you talked about the connections both in Europe within Germany, Ireland, France, and even outside of Europe in the Pacific region of like Australia. Has there been any examples in the United States that have been more prominently covered? Yes, back in 2002 was one of the biggest cases that was um, explored as far as sexual abuse in the church goes, and this was with the Roman Catholic priest and serial rapist John J. Gagan. There have been similar patterns of abuse that become unearthed across the world after this. So the Gagan case was a prime example of the clerical neglect And this led to staggering levels of abuse, and he abused around 130 children during his time in the church. Looking at the Boston Globe article that they released regarding this case, there was a driving question that I felt really hit home to this entire discussion, being, quote, why did it take a secession of three cardinals and many bishops 34 years to place children out of Gagan's reach, unquote. 
This represents the overarching issue that's been faced with all of these cases, including Ricard's, as far as the neglect and lack of response and lack of being held accountability that allows this to continue. And I think that's something that that has continued to be accounted for and that the Pope Francis has tried to take steps on, which we will cover later, of what, what actions have been done, what actions can be done, but is something to definitely be aware of, of how previously investigations in cases like this have gone in the past. Another important point that I think is important to bring up, focusing back on the French Catholic Church specifically, is the history of it, not just in its position as a landowning power, but in its political identity. Turning back to you, Juliana, are there any other more controversial parts of the French Catholic Church's past that you want to go into? Yes. So the French Catholics were very vocal in their support of the Vichy regime, which was a collaboration with the Nazi German government during the Holocaust. And under the German occupation, the capital of Vichy became the government that was an extension of Nazi Germany. It was just different by name and implement, they wanted to implement values of Christianity, family and patriotism. The Vichy regime wanted to return France to its fundamentalist and traditional values by restricting the legal and civil rights of women, promoting Christian-based thinking. The regime found that Jesus Christ's sufferings were comparable to France's sufferings before the regime officially began and promoting a rural life. They didn't really do anything besides say that they wanted more farmers, but they didn't really have any financial compensation in order to promote a rural lifestyle among the French. And the many French Catholics supported the new regime because it was in disagreement with democratic principles that were not favorable to those who were previously important aristocratic figures. Cardinal Baudrillard was the most vocal Catholic in support of the Vichy regime and the Catholic Church. He wrote about how Nazism and Christianity are the same and have no differences, but it was addressed by Pope John Paul II in 1997. He admitted the church's role in sending Jewish people to their death and acting in accordance with anti-Semitic sentiments. And previously, the church didn't want to say anything in response. They didn't want to be accountable for their past actions regarding World War II. And the reaction within the French government after Pope John Paul II admitted to the horrible acts that the church contributed to showed the politicians have a disdain for historical truth. And it's important to know anti-Semitism now as these scandals keep on coming out about the Catholic Church because anti-Semitism is all of a sudden becoming more popular and more of a talked about issue. Uh, especially, I think you mentioned, Juliana, like the French Church's admittance on, in a sense, cooperating or abetting, aiding and abetting the Holocaust of transporting the Jewish people or helping with that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think just to clarify for our viewers, and I just want to clarify this for you, Juliana, when we were talking about the Vichy regime, that's, of course, when Nazi Germany conquered most of France and they set up the puppet regime of the Vichy regime. Mm -hmm. And... But there's still free French forces who were mostly united under then General Charles de Gaulle. But it wasn't until after World War II that France was reestablished. Yes. And a new republic. Yeah, I think that is an important thing to be aware of because a lot of the formation of French identity ties back to this and things such as that nature. I want to dive back into the specific investigation that has started all this inquiry and this just re-examining of the past in the French Catholic Church in particular. The specific investigation into Cardinal Jean-Pierre Ricard and 
I just want to start off with a question, and I'll address it to you, Trisha, as the international analyst. What does the Vatican opening an inquiry mean in general? So essentially, this process entails the Vatican appointing an investigator that they deem is has the right authority to collect and examine evidence. This includes witness testimonies, documents, and other fiscal evidence that will then be handed over to a prosecutor. They will then present this to the court, claiming that the defendant is guilty, and if the judge deems the evidence to build a sufficient case, the defendant will stand in an official trial more officially. Um, despite the slow response from the Vatican on actually appointing this investigator and getting the inquiry started, French prosecutors have already launched into their own inquiry. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's any chance of the French government cooperating with the Vatican? Or are those two just two separate investigations that will come to separate concluding points? On a whole, they are two separate investigations. However, most likely they will reach the same point of Ricard being guilty of this admission. Mm-hmm. Okay. I also want to tie back into previous statements that the Pope Francis has made regarding clerical abuse and him speaking on this topic just recently before this happened. Do you want to go any further into that, Tricia? Yes, of course. So days prior to Ricard's confession, Pope Francis stated regarding clerical abuse that, quote, there are people within the church who do not see clearly, end quote, and added, quote, not everyone has courage, end quote. So previously, regarding other sexual abuse cases, the Vatican has been criticized heavily regarding their lack of tangible process in combating these sexual abuse cases, seeing as Pope Francis has claimed that the Vatican has, quote, a zero tolerance, unquote, policy towards abuses in the clergy, and has started to pass reforms, such as broadening the church's definition of assault and elevating the Vatican's commission that deals with assault cases. However, despite these reforms, there's still evidence of years-long silence regarding sexual abuse cases that appear in the Catholic Church, particularly those with higher-ups in the clergy. Many people feel that this outweighs the strides that Pope Francis has made, and the cases in which the offenders get disciplined far outweigh the ones that go silent. Mm Do you have anything to add on to that, Juliana? Yes, I would like to add that the French Catholic Church recently had their Bishops' Conference of France, which showed they wanted to address this issue. And in a message to all French Catholics, 120 bishops wrote that they are aware of revelations and abusers within the church and are conscious of the impact that these actions on victims may have. I want to go back to your point. Trisha, I think Juliana makes a good point, but also focusing more specifically on the actions that Pope Francis has taken. Of course, he's speaking out about the topic, but there's this thing that keeps coming up the news when P- when he's referred to that of pontifical secrecy and what this actually means and that the steps Pope Francis has taken regarding this position. Yeah, so pontifical secrecy refers to the church being able to cover up their sexual abuse cases. And in 2019, he, Pope Francis, wanted to abolish this rule and promote a new reputation of transparency and trust for the Catholic Church. This made a lot of changes in the legal functions of the church, which included not being able to withhold evidence from law enforcement during investigations and reversing a previous doctrine that insisted on keeping abuse cases confidential for the sake of the victims, when in reality it led to silencing the victims in order to maintain reputation and statuses of the offenders. This decision came in the wake of heavy criticism against the Vatican in response to a case in Argentina in which pornographic material involving quote-unquote youngsters was found on a bishop's cell phone. Also at this time, there were police raids um, against chanceries that had taken place in Belgium, Texas, and Chile, 
in response to the church resisting cooperation during investigations. Yep. So I, kind of my follow-up question was going to be was like there was a any noticeable effect that this rule had of like abolishing things, but also the pontifical secrecy Pope Francis abolishing that agreement means like the Catholic Church can no longer hold back information of cooperating investigations. Does that inherently mean, though, that the governments will proceed with that and take advantage of that? Not necessarily. There's an aspect to the Vatican side of the agreement, as well as different countries. For example, Brazil and the Dominican Republic still have legal agreements with the Vatican that restrict how much domestic authorities can intervene with their own clergy members in those countries. Um, I also want to take a look at like globally at this and then what has been done or tried to be d- done of trying to end sexual abuse in the church because the Catholic Church, as we acknowledge, has a wide-ranging global reach. It's one of the largest, if not the largest church in the world. Has there been any global response to this? Yes. So one of the main things that was seen was the United Nations has announced that an annual World Day will be recognized for the prevention and healing from children's sexual exploitation, abuse, and violence. This is essentially a way to bring visibility to sexual abuse against children, and it particularly helps to provide resources to help survivors and aims to have governments, churches, and other organizations that have been facilitating this abuse to take more accountability. And I want to come back into an important point that I think after looking just globally at this and just also how the history of the Catholic Church not even specifically within France, but in broader Europe, and it's the European identity that it presents to an extent to center where it's associated with Europe. So I'll, this is diving into the history a little bit, but I want to ask you both if you have anything to say on Europe's foundation of Christianity, specifically within the Catholic Church, and how this has affected how these investigations are viewed, even persecuted, or how the people view these outgoing investigations. So in areas that have a lot of these allegations come out, a lot of the younger demographics, the younger people within the church are slowly turning away from the church because of the lack of transparency and lack of accountability for their actions and lack of response. And specifically in France, it used to be a huge number of the population was church attending devout Catholics. But now of the religious population of France, only about 4.5 percent are church attending Catholics, which really goes to show how important transparency amongst and a line of communication between the public and the church is important. Yeah, totally. I mean, looking at the historical sense, Europe has always had a very strong connection to the Catholic Church as Christianity was a cultural norm and foundation since the 17th century. There was an interview done with the Belgium Cardinal, which he stated that over time Europe has become, quote, a pluralist society, a secular society where there are also other beliefs, end quote, which just goes to show, like Juliana was saying, as younger demographics and generations arise and see these issues, they tend to start turning from the Catholic Church in that sense. There was also a census done in 2020 by the Vatican that showed an overall increase in Catholics around the world, but a distinct decrease of around 300,000 in Europe as more people disassociate themselves from the church. Mm-hmm. And I think you elicited a point, Tricia, that Juliana pointed out before of Europe's distancing specifically within the youth of a moving towards a most more pluralist, more secular society, but also just in general, a lack of trust towards the religious institution that the Catholic Church is. But you mentioned an interesting point, Trisha, of like 
even with Europe, the foundation of where the Catholic Church has come from is distancing itself a little bit. There's the rest of the world's Catholic population is growing in other parts of the world. However, I do want to ask a question before we get to kind of our final thoughts and things of just asking, is the lack of transparency the only problem within the Catholic Church which is causing this disconnect between the younger European population, younger populations around the world, or is there other issues as well? There's definitely other issues. Within that census, there was a question asked regarding the relationship between the church and the government, and the predominant response with a median of around 60% was that a distinct separation should be kept between the two. And one of the main issues regarding this that led people to this conclusion was that they claim that they are, as far as the church is concerned, quote, too concerned with money and power, end quote, which just goes to show that there are multiple layers to this turning point within Europe that we see right now turning away from the Catholic Church. Yeah, additionally to the issue of money and power within the Catholic Church, there are many measures that they're attempting to make, but they aren't really making any decisive actions to be accountable for any of these issues and controversies that are so closely associated with the church and how they are run and how they will run in the future. Many people have proposed to solve the issues within the church as a whole. Two French thinkers, theologian Marie Thiel, argues that the church should denounce all culprits of sexual abuse and encourages better training for clergy with money and dealing with younger children, teaching younger children. And then a sociologist, Danielle Hervieu Leger, thinks that the Catholic Church needs major radical reform in order to stay relevant and to avoid the inevitable implosion that is coming. And she wrote a book about the future of Catholicism and argued that the dislocation of its internal structure is to blame for the future collapse. I think we just want to like summarize everything that we've talked about, Juliana and Trisha. And the first of my final questions to the both of you is just, what do you think will be the outcomes of this investigation? And I'll come to you first, Trisha. I think it's difficult to tell at this point because we have seen a multitude of cases come out. Some people can argue were even more severe than this one, which we saw in 2021 with those staggering numbers. So I can see why many people would think that this isn't going to be something that's going to be reformed as quickly as we want it to be. I have hope that because of these staggering numbers and because of the younger demographic that will be going into voting, going into government, they'll be able to have more of a role in changing these outcomes, maybe not necessarily now with this case, but for sure in the future. I personally am not hopeful for the outcomes of the investigation. I believe that through this investigation, there are going to be more acute victims coming forward from abuse, and this will just not be good for the Catholic Church in the long run. Mm-hmm. And so kind of want to ask a final question, and then I'll try and like summarize everything. After that is just, what steps must be taken to prevent this from happening in the future? Of And this has been like a longer reoccurring problems, and this is not the first time a case like this has happened, and it's probably not going to be the last time. What steps must be taken to prevent this from happening, or at least trying to prevent the least amount of damage to done to people and to people within the Catholic Church? Do you have anything to say on that, Juliana? Of like you mentioned the two authors previously of like what must be done to restore confidence in the French Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. 
I believe that having more transparency within the investigations and reported abusers would instill confidence within the Catholic Church, noticing warning signs of people that may have devious intentions when they enter the seminary. And being accepting to change would greatly help the Catholic Church in the future. Many younger Catholics want there to be a change in the church's future by opening an outlet for there to be open discussions between the church and others to create a better, more relevant system and having compassion for victims of abuse, encouraging the clergy to listen to the stories of the victims and show them compassion rather than being dismissive by covering up reports. Do you have anything to add on to that, Tricia? I mean, Juliana really hit it perfectly. I think that one of the important things to know is to be aware of what's happening and to be advocates for recognizing signs of sexual abuse, recognizing the possible sex offenders that may be wanting to enter a clergy. We saw with the cases in Boston that it took many years for any change to be made, and that obviously had a detrimental impact on those children. So I think one of the main things is to just be on top of things and really know the warning signs, understand why people do what they do and how to keep them away from children and away from the clergy. Thanks. I think I think that's a good point that you make, Trisha. Both you and Juliana have kind of covered the bases and just in general trying to encourage more transibility, uh, better vetting of things, better, more accountability within process and not just as a measure to cooperate with investigations and the steps Pope Francis has taken of abolishing pontifical secrecy in these cases, even though there's still agreements, as you said, Trisha, with certain countries of how much limits the governments can take in investigating things and also just taking steps of the zero tolerance policy, which is a good policy to have in posture, but it has to be carried out as well in reality. And also in general, just regaining the trust, regaining the trust of the people is what these measures are all about and steps that can be positively taken not just as a measure to improve the relationship between the Catholic Church and the people, but also in general to protect people as well. So thank you, Trisha and Juliana, for taking on this important and hard to talk about topic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Joining me now to round out some of the headlines this week is our news briefer, Jacqueline Perez-Garcia. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, Drew. Thank you for coming on the show. So what headlines do you have for us this week? Okay. So first, updates on the Ukraine war. Russia demands annexations recognized before talks. Next, ISIS acknowledges the death of its leader, announces his successor. Third, Beijing, Shenzhen, loosen more COVID curves as China fine-tunes policy. Lastly, we're losing hope. Honduras anger as first female president fails to fulfill women's rights pledge. Some very important stories to cover. Let's start with the updates in Ukraine. Yes. So, by now, it is known that Russia has annexed Ukrainian regions months after the invasion. However, Putin claims the West's refusal to recognize these territories makes peace talks more challenging. President Biden said he was ready to meet with the Kremlin, and Putin said that they are open to negotiations except pulling out of Ukraine. A negotiating point that will continue to be in the spotlight. And you mentioned news from the Middle East? Yes. ISIS recently announced their new leader, Abu al-Hassan, and not much is known about him. This is after they acknowledged the passing of their leader, Abu al-Hassan, in October. The operation that killed him was conducted by the Free Syrian Army in Dara province, Syria. It remains to be seen what the effect will be on the terrorist organization after this change in leadership. And there was updates on the lockdown restrictions in China? Yes. 
After much protest, both Beijing and Shenzhen loosened their COVID-19 requirements as China targets to reduce daily cases. In Beijing, COVID-19 testing booths have been removed, while in Shenzhen, commuters needing to present test results to travel will no longer be a requirement. With easing requirements, China is to announce a nationwide reduction for testing requirements as well as allowing positive cases slash close contacts to isolate at home. A developing story to continue to pay attention to. And our final story? Honduras' president, Zaramara Castro, has made promises for reforms for women with no progress 10 months into her presidency. When reporters spoke with activists who expressed their frustrations on topics such as legalization of contraceptives without restrictions and femicide. Despite all this, when the new administration has made efforts to focus on inclusivity of women in sectors such as religion and government. Thank you very much for coming on, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. Now that is all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew. Executive producer Jasmine DeLeon, associate producers Eric Bunce and Hamza Khan, technical producers Andrew Okulia and Bobby Kyle, and of course, your host, Drew Starbuck. The Global Current is brought to you by Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, 